This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. Hopefully it's because I have plenty of content and not because I like the sound of my own voice, or at least in that order. Maybe I do like the sound of my own voice, but I better have some fresh content if I'm delivering you a new version of the Scoop Podcast. We are up to episode 138, being recorded on Friday late afternoon, the 6th of April. We brought you Scoop Podcast episode 137 a couple days ago, the 4th of April. We had former Gophers defensive tackle Stephen Richardson, plus a linebacker Jonathan Celestine, plus we had Wild VP Brent Flair looking ahead to next week, the Wild and the Winnipeg Jets. It sounds like it'll open up that series on Wednesday in Winnipeg. Look for the Wild Winnipeg Jet Series to be Wednesday, Friday in Winnipeg, then in all likelihood Game 3 at the X on Sunday, then Game 4 on Tuesday. So again, Game 1 would be on Wednesday, April 11th in Winnipeg, then Game 2 in Winnipeg on Friday the 13th. We'll get to conversations I had in the Twins Clubhouse on Thursday, late morning, early afternoon with new pitching coach Garvin Alston, hitting coach James Rousen, and right fielder Max Kepler. Plus, we'll certainly get to a bunch of notes, including on the Twins. But we will begin with one of the all-time winningest coaches in NBA history, one to pick his brain on Tibbs, what he sees from the Wolves. He lives in the Denver area, so he certainly saw at least a good portion of Thursday night's Wolves loss to the Nuggets. He certainly watches games on League Pass, so he's got opinions on the landscape in the Western Conference. That would be George Carl. We'll get to George in just a second. Please, if you're interested in a suit, guys, consider Indochino, Indochino.com online, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, or they have a showroom at the Mall of America on the first floor. I just got my midnight blue suit in the mail the other day. You can get a premium suit from Indochino for just $379. You use the promo code SCOOP SCOOP when you check out. So whether you do it on Indochino.com or you go to the Mall of America, if you go to the mall, they will ask you if you have a promo code online. There's a section after you check out that offers you a chance to enter in a promo code. You use the promo code SCOOP $379 for a premium customized suit is one heck of a deal. Just Google Indochino. You'll see all the great reviews. They are highly thought of. They use the best fabric possible. Everything about Indochino is top-notch. They also make shirts as well. So whatever your suit needs, dress-up needs are, Indochino guys can take care of you. You think about the upcoming wedding season or any number of special events that you may have in May, June, July, and August. If you can use a new suit, please consider Indochino. Again, online, Indochino.com, or check out the showroom at the Mall of America on the first floor. We will get to George Carl the second he texts me back and says, hey, I'm ready to go. In the meantime, I will empty out my notebook in no particular order. I'll just bounce all around here. I am told Gary Trent Jr., former Apple Valley High School star, is expected to enter the NBA draft and hire an agent. 
I expect news on this front in the next 48 to 72 hours. On the flip side, Minneapolis native De La Salle, high school graduate Reed Travis of Stanford, is entering the draft but will not hire an agent. So he has until May 30th. If he doesn't get the feedback he's looking for, he can go back to Stanford for another season. He got a medical redshirt, so Reed could play a fifth year. Now, he is one of the best players in the Pac-12. He was a McDonald's All-American. I'm biased because I like Reed. I like his family. I think he's good enough to play in the NBA. He's absolutely good enough, I know this much, to make a good amount of money playing professional basketball. But this is one of the deepest drafts in recent memory. Next year is one of the weakest drafts as of now in recent memory that, of course, can change. So I do wonder if it would make some sense for Reed to go back to Stanford for another year then enter the 2019 draft. But regardless, he'll go work out for some teams, he'll get some feedback, and go from there. All it takes is one team to fall in love. So if Reed has a couple good workouts, who knows, maybe he can sneak into the middle to late first round. By the way, Reed made the announcement via the Stanford Twitter page. So I won't take credit for that scoop, but I wanted to pass that information along. If you didn't hear from the last Scoop podcast, both Nate Mason and J.P. Makura, J.P. Makura of Xavier, Lakeville North High School, Nate Mason, the former Gopher, got invites to the Portsmouth Draft Invitational later this month, where every NBA team will have scouts present. I do know that Reggie Lynch, former Gopher, Edina High School, was hoping to get an invite to Portsmouth. He did not. He is working through an agent, I'm told, by the name of Merle Scott. He's been working out in New York City. Now, Reggie Lynch has an NBA skill blocking shots, but considering his history, off-the-court history, I don't know if I like his chances to play in the NBA, but he can go make some money overseas if he so chooses. The talent is certainly there, especially on the defensive end. On the Gophers men's basketball team, the news came out Friday afternoon that Jameer Harris, after just one year, is transferring. Now, I'm told he was certainly close to assistant coach Kamani Young, who is joining Danny Hurley's staff at UConn. Young and Hurley know each other. So even though Beth Getz and David Benedict, who have ties to Minnesota, are now at UConn, Benedict the AD, Beth just underneath Benedict, so both in positions of power at UConn, I am told they had nothing to do with Kamani joining Hurley at UConn, that this was all Danny Hurley's doing, that Kamani goes to a more stable situation, certainly UConn, even with some recent NCAA hurdles to clear, certainly has a much more rich history than Minnesota. So Kamani Young from the East Coast gets closer to New York City. So logically speaking, it makes a lot of sense for Kamani Young to take that Danny Hurley UConn offer. Now, as far as who might replace Kamani Young, I continue to hear that it's more likely that Richard Pitino hires somebody that he has a relationship with, is familiar with, maybe somebody that he's worked with in the past, as opposed to hiring an unknown. But back to Harris, I'm told Harris was really close to Kamani Young, plus Harris was concerned over the next year or two about playing time. So combining losing the coach that he was closest to with the up-in-the-air nature of, hey, how much will I play my sophomore year? Jameer Harris decide to transfer. So currently speaking, the Gophers actually have three open scholarships for next season, and they have three the following season. So will they use all three right now for the 2018-2019 season, or might they just use two 
then carry one over, have four for 2019, 2020. That remains to be seen. But you think about the roster for next year with Oturu, Kausher, and Omersa coming in, the three local recruits. Then Stockman, the big man transfer from Louisville being eligible. And now you'll bring in at least two new players, if not three. The landscape of the roster will be significantly different. Maybe that's not a bad thing considering the year they just had. But next year's roster will look significantly different. I am told they do have some interest in South Dakota graduate transfer Matt Mooney. I am told he's one of the best players from that conference. He will help somebody. He is a high major player. He may not be a star at a high major, but he can play. He is a good player, a good defender. So the Gophers among many teams doing their homework on the South Dakota transfer. Also, it continues to be the theme that the Gophers are looking for a ball handler that can come in next year. I am told as of now, Isaiah Washington is not transferring. Yes, he is close to Kamani Young, but there are no playing time concerns there. Even though, yes, the Gophers' number one priority right now is bringing in a ball handler for next year. Also, Dupree McBrayer is staying as well. And he of course is close to Kamani Young. And a reminder, the Gophers continue to work on seeing if they can secure Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawks, as their opponent in November or December at U.S. Bank Stadium. It is a done deal that the Gophers will play someone at U.S. Bank Stadium come the end of this year. Now they play those couple Big Ten games in early December, but before the meat of the conference season gets going, they will play a game at the site of the 2019 Final Four. The opponent is still up in the air. In an ideal world, that opponent will be Kansas. Also on men's hoops, so Kamani Young leaves for UConn. I am told another member of Patino's staff was looking at a potential move. It doesn't sound like anything is really hopping at the moment, that there was an offer or the potential of an offer. Then the individual had to make a decision, but it has not gotten to that point. I don't think at this point it will get to that point. So I won't say who it is. I won't divulge. If I get a little bit more steam, I'll certainly pass along in future Scoop podcasts. But I do know that there was the possibility of a second staff member taking off. Before we get to George Carl, who texted me back, I remain amazed at the number of players who are declaring for the draft but not hiring an agent and that Jordan Murphy still hasn't done so, and I don't expect him to do so. Now, you have to pay your own way to these workouts, but Jordan could, in theory, work out for the San Antonio Spurs. He lives in San Antonio in the off season, or if he's spending his time in the Twin Cities a good portion of the summer, see if he could line up a workout with the Wolves just to get feedback. I mean, Jordan Murphy is a better player than a number of the names I've seen that are doing that, that they are declaring for the draft but not hiring an agent just to get some feedback from NBA teams because I do know that Jordan Murphy is a darn good player, and he has a chance with a good senior year developing that outside shot to make an NBA roster. If he doesn't make an NBA roster, he can make good money overseas. Jordan Murphy is one heck of a player, and when it's all said and done after next year, he will go down in the history books as one of the better gophers when it comes to rebounds and points. And a quick clarification, Murphy's parents, they actually spent some time here last season, but home base is San Antonio. Now, with the demands of any collegiate athlete, you are as long long as you're a collegiate athlete, you're going to spend a good portion of the summer in the city where you go to college. But he'll get back to San Antonio for a stretch or maybe even multiple stretches where it could work out where you could line up 
uh, workout with the Spurs and certainly being here in the Twin Cities could line up a workout with the Wolves. But I suppose you need some people to make some phone calls on your behalf. You don't have the agent, so you can maintain your eligibility. So it gets sticky. But I'm just saying, Jordan Murphy is one heck of a player. And if he said tomorrow, hey, I am declaring for the draft, I'm not hiring an agent, it would not be crazy. And I'm telling you, there are some crazy names on that list. All right, let's now welcome into the conversation one of the all-time winningest coaches in NBA history. He is George Carl. George, always a pleasure to catch up. Before we get to the craziness in the Western Conference, Tom Thibodeau, the Wolves, how about your son? I mean, what's it like following your son, Kobe, who's who's a coach in the in the G League? Is his team still alive in the postseason? They lost last night. They did, yeah, okay. They, got, they were in the final. They have a single elimination tournament in the conferences, and he won two road games, and his team played very, very well in those games. But last night they kind of ran out of gas and ran into a good team in Austin, Austin, Texas. But I, I was all, I was at all the games, and, you know, playoff basketball is, is preparation and over-preparation and what if, and, you know, what if I did this and what are you going to do this? And, you know, you think the game probably too much in playoff basketball, and but it's also the greatest basketball, I think, in basketball is, NBA guys in a seven-game series going against each other. There's, there's no other. There's no greater challenge to a, a team. Or it's so much fun to see guys play that intense, that focused, that discipline. And then when they lose, they go home and they adjust and they come back and they win. And it's a pendulum that swings back and forth. And it's a chess match of players and coaches and injuries and momentum and refereeing. And it was fun to be, even though it was the G League, it was it was fun to be a part of that intensity that seeing the game of basketball played that way has always been my thrill and probably my joy. And I would think it's a thrill and a joy just to to live vicariously through your son, right? I mean, is he does he have a lot of your tendencies when he's when he's roaming the sidelines? Uh, I don't think so. I tell him all the time. I say to him all the time. He probably picked up more Phil Jackson than the year that he played <laughs> with the Lakers and. He has a mindfulness to his his coaching, and he got animated last night. He got technical last night at the end of the game. He was really angry, but uh, and, you know he's more he's probably more laid back than I was when I was a younger coach. And, and you know, I think the game has gone a little bit to the point where you know, yeah, I've always told him that Coach Smith always told me that if I. If I don't coach in a game, that mean I, that means I've done my job because I've prepared mm-hmm. my team where I don't have to push buttons and be up and active and crazy and wild and animated all the time. If I prepared my team, I can just sit there and watch them. How's the talent in the G League? I mean, from afar, it seems like, and I try to pay attention as much as I can, but it's not like I'm locked in on these G League games, George, but it seems like there is a ton of talent. And I've always thought there's actually more there's more NBA talent than jobs available. What I mean by that is look at the look at the Timberwolves G League affiliate in Iowa. Like Emil Jefferson to me is an NBA player. Anthony Brown is an NBA player. Elijah Millsap is an NBA player, yet they were stuck in the G League. But do you like the talent level in the G League? I do. I, I like where the G League is going. I think it's gone slower than I would I would hope. I, I would wish they would uh has sped up the process a little bit more from the standpoint of one team with every every and you know like the minor league system of basketball baseball. I think they're going to get to that very soon, and I think once they get to that, 
You might see some type of reconstruction or re-philosophizing on exactly contracts and what type of contracts. Um, I just think right now it's, um, you know, they, 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 they started this year with a two-way contract where the, the team had the player for 45 days. And some of that's worked out very well. And I think someday I think you're just going to have a minor league contract just like baseball does. All right, let's get to the NBA, George. You coached some really good teams, but you also coached some teams that either barely missed the playoffs or barely made the playoffs. I'm looking at one year in Milwaukee. It was 0-1-0-2. You finished 41-41. and You missed the playoffs. You made the playoffs the following year with 42 victories. You've had some other meat grinder seasons. What's that like, those final few regular season games as you're making that push to the postseason, trying to figure out if you can get your team in or if you happen to not get in? Well, I think it's a good preparation because, you know, the last half dozen games, maybe even ten games, Ben has basically had to play about the last ten games with the mentality that they lost and might be the last last game of their season. Um, so you play with the intensity of a playoff game and the focus of the playoff game, and I think coaches maybe even coach a little bit like a playoff game when it's a must-win game or especially at home and, and I think that's the, the whole thing with the 82 games of the regular season is you can experiment, you can take chances, uh, you can play guys, you know, maybe for 10 days or two weeks to see what type of player they're going to be, how they're going to react to an NBA season a little bit. But when it comes down to the end of the season, and every season has it, there's, you know, there's 20 games, <laughs> there's 20 games that, are a factor on not only making the playoffs, but your positioning in the playoffs. And and then you have the teams that might be maybe playing the game of, I don't want to play this team, and maybe I, we should get the third seed rather than the fourth seed. And, or maybe the second you know, the second seed might get, try to get the third seed, and they might give a game away. So there's a little, there's a little strategy to it. There's some tac- tactical maneuvering. I've seen teams. You know, I've seen teams maneuver to get away from playing a certain matchup, and mm-hmm. uh, I've never, I've never been a fan of that as a coach because I think you got to coach every game to try to, you know, the same way, and, and you got to show your players, you know, we're not, we're just, good, we're just trying to play good basketball. But there is, in these last two weeks or three weeks of an NBA season, there is some tactical and strategic maneuvering going on. Plus, there are some fantastic games being played. All right, well, I mean, you can talk about maneuvering all you want. I can tell you from the team that I cover, the Timberwolves, they are just hoping, praying that they get in. It's the NBA's longest playoff drought here. It's 14 years. The last time, George, the Timberwolves were in the playoffs was the 03-04 season. You might remember it when KG led the Wolves. They Latrice Prewell, Sam Cassell to the Western Conference Finals, but they suffered some injuries. They couldn't overcome the Lakers, but, heck, they had home court advantage in the Western Conference Finals. They have not been back to the playoffs, George, since May of 2004. How hard is that just to wrap your arms around? I mean, that's it's just it's so crazy when you have better than a 50% chance on a yearly basis. Last time I checked, 8 out of 15 teams in the Western Conference make the playoffs, yet somehow the Timberwolves haven't been to the playoffs since 2004. It's just completely nuts. Well, there's some droughts out there. Sacramento, has, I think, has the exact same year of missing playoffs. Uh, I know their fan base is... You know, they've been incredibly loyal to the Sacramento, the Kings organization. It has been blessed by a fan base that the only thing in town of a pro-nature pro is the Kings, and 
because mm-hmm. of that, the fan base has stayed very, very strong and dedicated and loyal to the Sacramento Kings. And I think they're some of the best fans in basketball. I mean, the year and a half I spent there, I really respected the love they gave the game and also to the Sacramento Kings. Uh, but I don't know what to say about the drought. I mean, uh, uh, I know for Sacramento, a lot of their problems was in their drafting. They said the failure to make, make some draft choices. And I think Minnesota and Sacramento were kind of in a similar situation where they're not a free agent destiny. You know, they're not a destiny of the top free agents. And mm-hmm. you got you got to pick from Group B or Group C sometimes to try to figure out what what free agent might be willing to come to your city. So all those things, uh, I think, you know, fall into you know, making the NBA playoffs. But I also think people don't realize how hard it is once you get into the area of mediocrity or your team is, you know, and at, you know, those teams that don't make the playoffs, you got to make some good decisions to get back to the playoffs. It's not as easy as people think. Winning in this league is, I think, always very difficult. And I'm, uh, I, I think, uh, in general, uh, Minnesota is in, you know, they're in the driver's seat. I think, that game against um, the Denver Nuggets in Minnesota will be a huge game, and uh, it'll probably come down to that game the way I look at it. Well, then the Wolves should like their chances if they're playing it at Target Center yeah, next Wednesday. But the Wolves play against the Lakers tonight. They play Memphis on Monday. I mean, just when you think, okay, they should beat the Lakers, they should absolutely beat the Grizzlies. But, heck, Memphis came here just a couple weeks ago and one and you know jb bickerstaff is a friend of mine i know jb will have his grizzlies ready to go on monday so you're right i mean heck forget the math equation that you have better than a 50 percent chance each year to make the playoffs you're right it is such a fight such a grind i just wonder how these wolves will handle that sort of pressure well that's part of growing up i mean that's uh, a lot of young players don't understand that playing in a regular season and even making an all-star team and not being a playoff team is different than being a playoff basketball. Playoff basketball is whatever some people think is 25% harder. Uh, you know, other, other coaches think it's even more than that. And I just think it's a situation where the pr- learning how to be a pro in the NBA it starts with your, your commitment, your dedication to your individual work ethic. You got to learn how to eat well, take care of yourself off the court well. And then you got to learn how to win basketball games and, and knowing what it takes to be a winner. I think people forget Michael Jordan, I think, went five, maybe six years before he made the playoffs. And, you know, he was one of the great players of all time. It took, took maybe it was six years before they won in the playoffs. But, you know, he, he, he was not a playoff player early in his career. How important, George, in your mind is playoff experience? Here's the situation the Wolves are dealing with. If they make the playoffs, they have to give up their first-round pick to the Atlanta Hawks going back to a trade that the late Flip Saunders made a few years ago to acquire Adrian Payne. If they miss the playoffs, they get to keep that pick. This is a really good draft, a deep draft. So if the Wolves miss the playoffs, getting pick 12 or 13 in this draft is incredibly valuable. But when you think about Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Tyus Jones, Gorgie Jang, I mean, those are all either you know stars, alpha guys, 
you know, bit players, but role players, certainly guys that play. I mean, those four guys in particular, I'm not talking about Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson, Jamal Crawford, Jeff Teague. I mean, those guys have their playoff experience. But but in particular, Towns, Wiggins, Tyus Jones, Gorgie Jang. How important is playoff experience for those four guys? And at that point, you just say, forget the draft pick. Give it up to Atlanta because these guys need playoff experience. <laughs> well... Remember, I'm a basketball coach, and I, I don't even like even thinking about thinking about it. It's okay not to try to make the playoffs. I think at basketball, you play it to be the best you can be. And if you if you try to play with that mentality, if you try to play games with, you know, well, it's okay. Or if you if you bring failure is acceptable. If you bring, you know, a defeatist mentality to your team, that culture is extremely difficult to, for a coach to accept, and then also to get out of the team. So I think Minnesota, and I know Tibbs is, is possessed right now trying to make the playoffs. Um, you know, and I hope he you know, and I, I wish Denver and Minnesota could make the playoffs, to be honest with you. I don't think that's a possibility. I don't think two teams are going to fall out uh, of the race uh, to get both Minnesota and, well, and maybe Denver and Minnesota could beat out New Orleans or something like that, but these next five or six days are going to be a lot of fun to, to pay attention to, and there'll be a lot of games that'll be fun to watch too. Refresh your memories. How well do you know Tibbs? And did he spend some time with you in Sacramento during his year off? He spent three or four days with us. He came out to Sacramento and he traveled with us on a couple of road trips. Uh, just trying to work on, you know, just picking his brain on. I think he wanted to pick my brain on offense, and I wanted to pick his brain a little bit on defense. You know, earlier in my career, I was known as a defensive coach. But probably since I've been in Milwaukee and Denver, everybody's probably looked at me as an offensive coach, and I laugh all the time. Like, I forgot how to coach defense. I, you know, you can't coach both. But I think the nuances of why things work and uh, why, why systems work better with certain coaches and other coaches is always, it's always a good interchanging of ideas and philosophies that make, make us better. And I enjoyed my time with him. Tibbs has always been a good friend. You know, in the NBA today, you don't have a lot of time to have friendships. But you know, I, he's a dedicated coach. He's a loyal coach, and he's a, he's been a very, very good ambassador to NBA coaching and also to me. It's interesting that you were pigeonholed at one point as whether an offensive coach or defensive coach. I mean, when Tibbs came here, he was considered right or wrong a defensive coach. He has not gotten the Wolves to play a lick of defense. They have been rock bottom, George, in defense the 160 games he has coached here. Yet, this year, they are a top-five offense. So I'm wondering if if Tibbs is an underrated offensive coach and maybe we're overrating him as a defensive coach. Well, you know, the, the, the game is evolving. And Tibbs, you know, five, six, seven years ago, you know, his teams were very good defensively. But the game evolves, and, and you have different personalities. When you change from the Chicago Bulls to Minnesota, you have different players. When I went from Seattle to Milwaukee, you know, Sam Cassell, Ray Allen, and Glenn Robinson couldn't do what Gary Payton, Nate McMillan, and uh, Detlef Shrimp could do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it, you have different personalities and you have different makeups. Um, you know, in Milwaukee, we could outshoot anybody, but we, we, couldn't, we couldn't out-defend everybody. You know, we had, to, we had to figure out how to make the game that fit our strengths and our, our talents rather than be, be, try to cater to your weaknesses. And in the NBA, you have to adjust to the personnel that you have. 
And that, that changes basically every year. You know, there's trades, there's free agents, there's young players that come in the game. You know, when we went from Chauncey Billups to Ty Lawson, that was a, a tremendous change, totally different, totally different point guard play. And, you know, it maybe helped the way we were playing at that time of playing fast. But in the same sense, we, we never were was as successful as when Chauncey was here. I mean, that's interesting about catering to the to the personnel you have. I mean, is there one thing, though, on offense that, that a coach should do no matter what, trying to get that corner three-point shot? I mean, that is, what, the best shot in basketball at this point, right? And the Timberwolves are dead last in the NBA in three points attempted. And I'm not suggesting they should be top 10 or top 15, but they have enough guys. I mean, even Carl Anthony Towns is an excellent three-point shooter. Jamal Crawford. I mean, the Wolves have guys that can take three-pointers, that can make three-pointers. I'm just wondering if that is one thing, one area, that no matter what, no matter what your personnel is, find a way to get some three-pointers off, especially in the corner. Well, I'll be honest with you. I've, I, uh, one of the conversations through this year with the MBP, NBA people I've run into is the question I've asked is, is the three-point shot becoming too valuable? Is, is, is the game being changed so much and, and uh, you know, I know the fans probably like it, and the up-tempo has definitely gotten better and scoring points. Everybody loves that. But the substance and soul of the game a little bit is different than it's ever been. It's been probably more finesse-oriented. The rule changes have allowed our guards to basically have a lot more freedom than our big guys. And there's a lot of change going on. As I said, the game evolves. Now you watch... Big men, big men are out on the three-point line as much as they are inside the court, inside the, in the inside the paint. And is that hurting the game, helping the game? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not smart enough to probably analytically uh, and analyze that. But I, I definitely think the game has gotten a little softer and maybe a little too pretty for me at times. I kind of like the old school, you know, you know, in, in the trenches fighting. You know, elbow and butts and grind and push and shove and a little few, maybe a few shoving matches and, you know, intensity of the game of of being more macho, I guess would be the best way to phrase it. Back to Tibbs. What about Tibbs would surprise us as somebody that knows him? I mean, even in the two years he's been here, those of us in the media really haven't gotten to know him. There certainly is a guard up. I mean, he's not very much of, of an open book. And, and as you probably know, I mean, going back to the Flip Saunders era, I mean, Flip was, was the ultimate open book. So for a lot of us in the media, it is a 360-degree change. I mean, it is a drastic change. Even Sam Mitchell, with a few of us, was, was pretty much an open book for, for the one year he was the interim head coach. But, but under Tibbs, I mean, he just he doesn't share very much. We, just, we don't know a lot about Tibbs. You know Tibbs pretty well. What about Tibbs would surprise us? He's got a softer side than I think uh, than he portrays to the public. I think, you know, he's more friendly and more outgoing when he has time to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. But he is a possessed, he's a possessed coach. I mean, he's a workaholic. Uh, you know, during the season, I'm sure he doesn't spend much time allowing himself a moment of freedom to just become a, be, a, be a human being for maybe a day or two. And I'll be honest with you, I think he'll learn that someday he should do that because, you know, as I've gotten older and gone through my cancers, you know, the stress is what gets you. And the stress is what ties you or not, and, and it's what kind of creates, um, whatever, an unhealthy atmosphere. But 
our game and and the job itself is a. I told I told a thousand people, you know, everybody thinks they would like to be me, but I don't think many of you. Once you would be me, you really like being you. <laughs> you know, it's it's a tough job and it's somewhat thankless. Um, you know, you get you got to win or or you're considered a failure. Even if winning, you're considered a failure. I mean, you're right. I mean, that's there's more of a spotlight on, on coaches' health than ever before. I mean, George, you think about, you know, whether Clifford in, in Charlotte, you know, even Ty Lue. I mean, it's not like Ty Lue is an old man, you know, in Cleveland. You know, so you think about Tibbs at 59, 60 years old. Yeah, I wonder about him because I know he's a maniac when it comes to work ethic. So I wonder if he's if he's getting the proper sleep, if he's eating the right food. You know, you just you have to wonder about those things. Yeah, I think there, yeah, I think to be an NBA coach, we sacrifice things both both with our families and with people that we love, and we also sacrifice our health a little bit. There's no question, uh, you know, Steve Kerr looks like a healthy guy, but he has a great team and he wins 60 games every year, and he's a young athlete too. So, uh, but it's, it's a tough business from a standpoint of, uh, you know, every day there's not a lot of appreciation for winning, and losing is just hell. And uh, so you put you do that for six months out of the year. Uh, you need you need to re-energize and recoup and get away from the game a little bit. And I hope Tibbs has his way ways to do that in the summertime. And I'll leave you after this. I mean, not only does the losing grind on you, the coach. I mean, you're hearing it from from the fan base. I mean, I can't tell you how much the fans go at Tibbs here in town, George. Now. It's a different animal now compared to when you were in, you know, Golden State or, you know, Milwaukee or any number of stops. But now with social media, I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, Tibbs, I, I think they're making the playoffs. So I think Tibbs is getting the Wolves back to the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. Yet this fan base here in Minnesota, for the most part, just can't stand the guy. And I'm sure he has to, he has to be hearing some of that outside noise. So, yeah, I mean, you combine those factors, it has to be wearing him down. Well, I don't think there's any question that the, the thing that the job has changed is the media attention, the internet, mm-hmm. uh, ESPN, on TV, every game's on TV. I mean, it's so much different than it was 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. And then social networking for us, us guys who are in the 60s or near 60s, it's very difficult to comprehend. I mean, and then when you get, as you get older, you don't want to even try. You know, it's like you know, it's just hard to understand how the world of communication has gone to a Twitter account or to Facebook or or to how we gather our information, exchange information is not face to face or by communication, you know, man to man or one on one. It's done by some type of electronic device. I'll leave you after this. Are you? George, are you retired at this point at, what, 66 years old? Are you done, George? Or if Phoenix calls, if if Memphis calls. I saw Howard Beck have a note on Friday that he, he projects maybe upwards of 10 coaching openings. If if you get a phone call from one of these openings, one of these general managers looking to hire a coach, will you listen? I will. Yes, I will. I mean, I still have the itch. I still have I love the game. I still study the game. I actually have probably taken more notes and written in my, my, my diary of basketball more this year than ever before. I'm always trying to figure out where the game is going and what's it going to be like a year from now. You know, who are the stars? Who, who are the guys that aren't stars yet but can be stars? I mean, I, I, I kind of present a major question to my mind on basketball every week, 
and then I spend uh, six or seven days trying to figure out what the answer is. All right. Well, who then, I mean, the obvious follow-up, I guess there's a few follow-ups, but quickly before I let you go, who do you look at right now that isn't a star that has star potential? Oh, man. I mean, I, I mean, there are a lot of guys on the brink of being super, super basketball players. And, you know, there's different levels, I think. you got the younger, young, really young player, and you got the three- or four- or five-year player. And those are the guys I think I would mark if I was trying to kind of build a team or make a major trade. Is Young players take time to develop. And sometimes young players, you know, whatever young players are, they might have a 70% chance of being a star, but they also have a 30% chance of being a flop. And so I'm, I'm always trying to find the, the more secure decision-making situation. I mean, I mean, five years ago, did you think Kawhi Leonard was going to be a top five player? No, not I, five I looked, years ago, no. No, I didn't think that. And, and, and that's the type of guy I'm looking at and saying to myself, in three or four years, can there, there be a guy right now that's maybe only playing 25 minutes a game, but someday could be an all-star or be, an, be a major player on a playoff team? Well, I'll give you a name. What about Andrew Wiggins? I mean, he's a max player starting next year, so it's not like he's a mystery. But he's 23 years old. He averaged nearly 24 points a game last year. But this year, you know, his usage, I mean, everything has changed about his role a lot because of, of Jimmy Butler's presence. When Butler's been healthy, then you have Carl Anthony Towns and certainly Jeff Teague dominates the ball a lot. But what about Andrew Wiggins? Well, I think he's on the list of guys that you got to look at. But then, you know, the problem with coaching and business don't always go hand in hand. You know, is Andrew Wiggins a, a max player in my eye? I don't think any. I think I think we paid potential mm-hmm. to be a max player more than we paid the des- desire that he was a max player. I'm and and Minnesota is not the only team that does that. Mm-hmm. That is probably the biggest mistake in contracts. In the NBA, we pay potential. We don't pay the definitive players because defensive players, and because of that, the media and the agents and, and the players themselves can, can portray that there's 50 max players out there. Well, there isn't 50 max players out there, but the system might give us 25 to 30 max players, and there's probably really only 10 to 15 max players. But the system says right now you got to take chances to find that guy that you don't have. George, fun conversation. Let's do it again in the near future. Always enjoy when we can catch up. Okay, Dan. Good luck to the Timberwolves. I'll continue to say it's a hill I'm willing to die on that I see the Wolves making the playoffs. They have the tiebreaker over New Orleans. Jimmy Butler is back as of Friday night against the Lakers. They should be able to beat the Lakers. They should be able to beat the Grizzlies. And, heck, they should be able to beat the Nuggets on Wednesday. So they should be more concerned about avoiding the Houston Rockets. Don't finish in that eight spot than actually about making the playoffs. But I get it. That's not the concern. The concern is, hey, we just need to find a way to get in the playoffs. But I'm saying worry about seeding if not as much, maybe more, than getting in because you should be able to play hard and beat the Lakers, beat the Grizzlies, and beat the Nuggets. But, heck, you look at some of the losses they've had this year, home against Phoenix, at Atlanta, at Orlando, at Brooklyn, at Chicago. 
that can't always be said for the Wolves when they should win a game and they don't. A couple more basketball notes. Matthew Hurt had Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and Roy Williams of North Carolina in his Rochester home on Thursday. Then on Friday, he was expected to have both Bill Self of Kansas and John Calipari of Kentucky in. And Richard Pitino of the Gophers is expected to get some more face time with Matthew Hurt next week. Matthew Hurt, Rochester John Marshall Jr., one of the best players in the country in the class of 2019. Also, 2019 class, Zeke Naji of Hopkins. Really good player. Has a Gophers offer. Has an Iowa offer. Has a Wisconsin offer. Really smooth forward. He is changing AAU teams. He is going from Howard Pulley to D1 Minnesota. So Zeke Naji will play with Matthew Hurt. Naji next Friday the 13th will have Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard in for a home visit. Then Naji will take an unofficial visit to the Gophers new practice facility on May 10th. All right, let's get to a few Vikings notes. Vikings notes are brought to you by Skull Marketing. They are a business-to-business marketing agency. They specialize in working with local small businesses. They are owned by two former Google employees. They want to make Google work for you. So if you're a small business owner, any business owner, if you want to utilize Google, if people go to Google, let's say you're a restaurant owner and you want your restaurant to pop up before other comparable restaurants. These guys know how to help you. Online, skullmarketing.com, or call now to schedule your free 30-minute consultation. 612-787-SKULL. 612-787-SKULL. Let's make Google work for you. It is Skull Marketing. I am told no talks yet on an Anthony Barr extension. Now, the Vikings feel like when it comes to Barr, Daniil Hunter, Eric Kendricks, and Stefan Diggs, they will be able to keep all four long term. But what the agents are looking for, what the Vikings are thinking, may not match up. I'll say this. I think the Anthony Barr negotiations, when they start, will be very interesting. But so far... No dialogue, no meaningful dialogue on extending Anthony Barr. I had about 23 or 24 of the Vikings draft visitors this week listed in Scoop Podcast episode 137. One I did not have listed, Nevada offensive lineman Austin Corbett. He's expected to be a second or maybe a third round pick. He is highly thought of. So Austin Corbett, another player that was here in Minnesota this week. They had a bunch of good offensive linemen in Frank Ragnow, Connor Williams, Mike McGlitchy, and Austin Corbett. The Vikings really weren't in on punter Marquette King, who signed with the Broncos. They did make one cursory phone call, but it never got anywhere. The Giants also had some interest in King, but the Vikings are very happy with punter Ryan Quigley. Also, Terrence Newman. Will he return? Will he not return? Yes, he does have interest in playing again. Yes, the Vikings have interest in retaining Terrence Newman. But word is they want him back at a lesser number than he made last year. I don't have it in front of me. I believe it was like two or two and a half million he made last year. They are looking to bring him back, but at a lesser number. So it remains to be seen if Newman says yes. We'll get to Twins notes in just a second. I forgot to go for his women's basketball notes. Somebody close to Marlene Stallings put it at 80-20 that she takes the Texas Tech job. The Texas Tech is looking to hire a woman, that she's the only woman in the mix for the Texas Tech women's basketball opening, that she does have interest in leaving Minnesota, even though it looks like she's built enough of a winner and her name has also popped up for the Virginia job. So whether it's Texas Tech or Virginia, don't be shocked if Marlene Stallings ends up leaving the Gophers. I did text her. I did text her agent. Neither 
has gotten back to me. All right, on the Twins, before we get to conversations with Max Kepler, James Rousen, and Garvin Alston, Yahoo Sports had the note the other day that the Twins offered extensions to Max Kepler, Jose Barrios, and Byron Buxton, plus two other players. They did not say who, but two other players. All right, I'm Buxton. We've talked about Buxton going back weeks. The Twins made Buxton a very team-friendly offer. It would have been nuts for him to say yes, for his agent to say yes. I'm just telling you, it was incredibly team-friendly. The word is all these offers were incredibly team-friendly. So the word is not only on Buxton, but on Kepler, all of them. It was very easy for these guys, for their agents to say no. Hey, Credit to the Twins for trying. The worst anybody can say is no. The Twins tried, but they all said no. Where Yahoo deserves credit is they had the Kepler news first. They had the Barrios news first. But the Buxton news, certainly not new if you're a listener of the Scoop podcast or listen to me on 1500 ESPN or watch Channel 5 or Channel 45. Now, here's where I can advance the story. So Yahoo says there were two other offers that were made. I can tell you. One of those offers was Eddie Rosario. It was made to Eddie Rosario, but again, it was so team-friendly, it didn't make sense for Rosario to say yes. I am told no offer was made to Miguel Sano. So the question is, did they make Jorge Polanco an offer before he got his 80-game suspension going back you know, two or three months? That I don't know. I haven't heard back on that. So I don't know if Yahoo is right that there were two other offers, or maybe it was just one, but I did hear that Eddie Rosario was made an extension offer by the Twins. All right, let me start with, who should I start with? I guess it would be Max Kepler. I had a chance to catch up with Max Kepler in the Twins clubhouse on Thursday. You ever played, I suppose, playing yesterday in, in Pittsburgh with those conditions? We'll prepare you for not only today, but looking at the forecast, Saturday and Sunday are supposed to be pretty ridiculous here. Yeah, I haven't looked yet, but um, I heard that we're expecting some snow. Um, we played in snow already, so I think, you know, We've gotten through the the, the worst of it, um, hopefully. But I don't. I mean, I don't know what's to come. Minnesota cold is different. I heard. So. Okay, so yesterday was that your first? Byron was saying it was his first game playing. So I'm trying to think. Coming up through the minors, did you ever play with with snowflakes coming down? Um, lightly, not in flurries like that. But um, yeah, it was it was a little concerning at first because I looked up and I couldn't really see the sky and was concerned that you know I might not see the ball if it comes flying at me. But uh, yeah, luckily I didn't get one. So. I mean, what sort of mental adjustments do you need to make, though? I mean, as you're as you're thinking about that, I mean, you know, you, you're battling that constantly, aren't you? Yeah, you know, you kind of take it into consideration. You know that you, you might have some trouble seeing the ball, but once you know the ball's put in play, mind shuts off and you just react, and instinct takes over. So, um, you either you either see it or you don't. I think the hitter has the advantage over the pitcher since the pitcher is always struggling to grip the ball. No, because I was up there when it was snowing, and it was hard to see the ball. So I think it's, you know, 50-50. And it's also hard holding on to the bat, you know, with cold hands. So, Did you make a concerted effort winter, spring training, to, to lock in on lefties? I mean, you had that double the other day in Pittsburgh against a lefty. I mean, has that been a, a point of emphasis for you, hitting lefties? Um, not necessarily. You know, there's a lot of things I have to work on. Um, it comes mental, I mean, lefties, righties. Um, I think it's just getting my pitch uh, in the, you know, situations that people are going to try and, you know, keep that pitch away from me. Um, especially, you know, when the lefty's coming out of the bullpen, they're going to try and, um, they're, how do you say, they're going to um, 
throw around the plate, you know, because, you know, they, they last year, according to last year, I was a young hitter. They knew I'd be swinging. They were not as patient as, you know, a veteran player would be, so they tried to get ahead with two strikes and then just throw balls on the dirt and have me swinging. So this year I'm just going to try and be patient and hunt that pitch that I know I can do damage with. Um, and, yeah, just see the ball. Do you feel like you're still a young guy, though? I mean, you've gotten plenty of major league appearances. I mean, you've been up here long enough. They say until you have about uh, 1,500 plate appearances. Until then, um, you're still, you know, finding your groove and trying to, you know, just see see what type of player you are at the plate. Um, but, yeah, I still see myself as, you know, one of the younger guys in this clubhouse. I'm, I'm not close to being a veteran or anything like it. Um, and, yeah, my, my objective every day is just to learn as much as I can, soak everything up, and adjust to stuff I'm aware of. After this, I mean, one of the youngest, but do you also look at yourself as one of the more confident guys that you feel like you're going to have a really good year this year? Yeah, most definitely. Um, that's what I've been working on, you know, just being confident. And um, regardless of what, what what the result is, one day, you know, if you go over four with four Ks, um, that the next day you don't even think of that and don't bring that into the next day. And just go out there with the same mindset, positivity, and work ethic to, you know, succeed and yeah, I'm confident in this team. Everyone's looking great, confident, having fun. That um, there's going to be a lot of success. I think about where you hit in the batting order. I mean, do you look at yourself long term as more, you know, whether it's a three hitter or a five hitter or something like that? You know, it's wherever they need me. Um, I don't mind hitting six, five, seven, um, three holes. Uh, it's it's a lot of work. It's fun, you know, when you get in the groove, but um, it comes with responsibility. Um, but, yeah, wherever they need me, um, I'm ready to work. Next up, my conversation with Twins hitting coach James Rousen. James, through the first five games, what, what stands out to you? Um, I feel like these guys just picked up where they left off. Um, they come in, they're having fun, enjoying the game, exciting games, obviously. Um, the bats are putting together quality at bats and just playing as a team. So it's, it's, it's really fun to watch these five games where we picked up where we left off. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it's, just, it's a carryover from last year. I mean, even opening day in Baltimore, I mean, your guys never stop grinding. Absolutely. Um, it's just the credits of the way they play the game. They just never quit. I think that's our mindset is um, we're going to play 27 outs every single night. We're not going to play 20, 23, 24, 25. We're going to wait till that 27th out because we never know what happens. And these guys are that type of team. You never know what's going to happen, so they play the whole game. I want to ask you about every individual, but but I'm Max Kepler. I mean, looks like he's swinging really well. And even that hit he had off, off the lefty the other day, I mean, that has to be an encouraging sign. No doubt about it. He's worked his butt off all, all year long. And, and even going back through last season, um, you know, there were times where he really got after it. His work ethic was great. He came into spring training this year in great shape. Um, he had a plan of uh, what he wanted to do. He knew what he wanted to do, like, like right to the start. So we got to work right away in spring training and just kind of executed his plan. And it's nice to see when the season starts, he can get some success with that to start off the year. I mean, he's almost the forgotten guy. I mean, maybe it's because he had a better first half than second half last year and so many of your guys had such great second halves but I mean you look at that swing that swing is a thing of beauty oh yeah it's a great swing and I and definitely in this clubhouse he's definitely not a forgotten guy I mean these guys know they lean on each other and they kind of look to each other the biggest thing about this team is their ability to pick each other up when one guy's not going great somebody else seems to step up and they do it as a team but Max is a big part of this team um, obviously and the chemistry with all these guys is just outstanding 
when Thad or Derek or whoever told you, hey, we're, we're sending Logan Morrison, did your face just light up? I was excited. I mean, you know, you look at the year he had last year, and um, again, fitting in with this group of guys here, and he's he's been great so far this year. You know, he fits in with this group. He's got great personality, you know, every day he comes, he's got energy, he's excited to play, so, you know, we're, we're happy to have him. I'm definitely happy to have him in the lineup. Is this an easy clubhouse to fit in? I mean, for, for an A-type personality, an extrovert like Logan, was it easy for him to fit in, though, with, with the group of guys here? I think so, because our, our goal is to be, you know, team first and just win the ball games. Like, we don't care how we win them. We don't care about how many hits we get. We just want to score more runs than the other team does at the end of the day. So it's really just a team concept. And if you can fit into team first, this is a great clubhouse to be in. Let me with this. Are you getting daily reports on, on how Jorge Polanco is doing? Is he playing in extended games, spring training games down in Fort Myers? Um, I believe he will, but I, I haven't kind of been in tune with that as of, as of late. So I probably have to just kind of get myself in tune with that before I kind of comment on it. And I suppose 80 games is a long time anyway, so you know he's going to be down there for a while. It's not like you need to be getting reports right this second. Exactly. At the end of the day, we're just going to kind of focus on the task at hand right now, which is, you know, obviously the Seattle Mariners today and, and the first part of this season and just kind of get this thing continue to continue to keep this thing going in the right direction. We finish with new Twins pitching coach Garvin Alston. Garvin, what's it like? You know, I mean, heck, you guys have played five games. Does it feel like the season is now really here, that, that you're now here in, in Minnesota and it's the Twins home opener? Well, it's been fun so far. It's been a lot of fun just getting to know everybody around here. And as of right now, everything is just brand new, and I'm just soaking it all in. How hard is it for pitchers to grip the ball in this cold weather? Oh, it's difficult. I mean, uh, guys got to go out there with hand warmers and, and do the best they can to make sure they got some kind of feeling in their fingers. I mean, how much does that come up? I mean, as you're talking to Kyle here pregame, I mean, are you nailing it into his head or do you not want to mess with him too much mentally? No, we don't talk much about that. We just talk about, you know, executing pitches, and that's our main focus. So that's all we really talk about on the bench. Speaking of executing pitches, I mean, you have to be thrilled with what you've seen so far. Well, it's early. Uh, guys are doing a fine job out there pitching and getting ahead and doing the things they need to do. So we're happy about the progress so far, but it's still early. Going back to Sunday, Barrios, I mean, he was electric. I mean, when he's on, when he's throwing strikes, there's not many guys that are better than him, is there? No, no. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, he has the stuff without a doubt. Everybody sees what he can do. I mean, we've seen it during spring training as he was coming through and saw the pieces coming together. So hopefully he can sustain that for a full season. Ed Levine told me last year, I mean, the key is 62% or higher. If he's throwing those strikes, his stuff is so good. As long as he's throwing strikes, he's going to have success. Oh, without a doubt. If you're attacking the zone, no matter who you are out there, any of the guys that's here, Jake did it the first game and going, going through the whole system. So if guys attack the zone, they have a positive outcome. What stood out about Lance's first start the other day? Oh, it wasn't anything much. I mean, it was one pitch for me. I mean, he it was one pitch. If he makes that pitch or even if he walks him in that situation, it gives us a better opportunity to go ahead and come back later in the game. But without a doubt, Lance is fine. He's going he's gonna to be good. What do you expect he will bring to you? I mean, you know, having watched him from afar in, in St. Louis, I mean, what do you know about Lance? Well, Lance is a bulldog. I mean, he takes the ball anytime the ball's given to him. He's going to compete every time he's out there. And he's been around. He's seen it all. So with his knowledge and being in the game and experience, he's going to share with everybody else that's around here. So for, for us, Lance is one of our leaders on our team. Maybe after this, with the, with the somewhat limited amount of times you can go to the mound, what sort of balancing act is that when, when you think with, with Molly, should I go out there, should I not go out there? Oh, there's no balancing act at all. Anytime I want to go out, I just talk, turn to Molly and say, hey, I'm going to go out. And goes, okay, go ahead, do your thing. So, no, there's no balancing act at all. If I need to go out there, I'll definitely go out there. So, you know, so like the other day when you go out there with Lance, you knew I need to go out there. Well, it wasn't a thing of going out there. I just wanted to go ahead and try to give him a, a breath of fresh air for that moment and just get his thoughts back in that situation. And that was about it. But it wasn't anything I was going to tell him that he didn't know already. So, um, 
Um, Lance is a veteran. He's one of our best pitchers on our team, and he'll be fine. Much like the Twins as a whole, it looks like it will be a fun, fun baseball season. The Twins look like they have a really nice team. All right, that does it for Scoop Podcast episode 138. As always, please support the sponsors of the Scoop Podcast right now. It's Indochino, Indochino.com. For your suit needs, guys, they make tremendous suits you can get a premium suit from indochino for 379 dollars if you use the promo code scoop so go to indochino.com or check out their showroom at the mall of america they make big time suits just google indochino you'll see all sorts of tremendous reviews and we have skull marketing skullmarketing.com for all your business needs they will make google work for you that is their motto make google work for you. So Skull Marketing and Indochino right now keeping the podcast going. We are done. Have a great weekend, everyone. Survive the snow Sunday night.